This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Science Weekly is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash scienceweekly today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scienceweekly. It's January, which for a lot of us means it's time to brush away the chocolate wrappers, put down the glass of wine, drag ourselves off the sofa and get fit. But if you're starting out on your fitness journey this year, you might be wondering where to begin. So today we're asking, what are the best ways to get active and make it stick? How should we be changing our exercise routines as we get older? And can just three minutes a day make a difference? I'm The Guardian Science Editor, Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. So I'm a committed exerciser. I try to do something every day and I sort of go back and forth between uh, cycling-based interval training. Uh, I'm 55 with an osteoarthritic left knee and so I can't run anymore. So my go-to cardio exercise is cycling. And in between that, I try to do strengthening exercise, uh, a lot of bodyweight style uh, training, simple functional movements, things like that. That's Martin Gibala, an exercise physiologist and professor of kinesiology at McMaster University in Canada. Physical activity, including structured exercise, it's good for our hearts, our bodies and our minds. And so regular activity can prevent, help manage heart disease, type 2 diabetes, cancer, and it can also reduce symptoms of depression, anxiety, enhance thinking, learning and just general overall well-being. And in you know, really high level terms, how is exercise 
giving us those benefits? What's going on in our bodies when we exercise that makes us healthier? So I'm a physiologist, so I'll, I'll stick to that side of it. But generally, regular physical activity, exercise, overall, it makes our heart a better, stronger pump. Our blood vessels become more elastic, and that allows oxygen and nutrients to flow easier. It helps to manage our blood pressure. And our muscles get better at using the oxygen to produce energy. And so it does things like burns, sugars, and fats. And that helps to regulate the amount of those things in our blood and in other places where we don't want them as much. The current received wisdom seems to be that we should all be getting 150 minutes of moderately vigorous activity a week or 75 minutes of vigorous activity and two muscle strengthening exercises. How did we get here? What is that all based on? So it's largely based on very robust epidemiological evidence that shows strong associations between those types of amounts of physical activity and strengthening exercises with things like all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease uh, mortality. And so in short, having a higher fitness level, which is associated with those levels of regular physical activity, is associated with a markedly lower risk of dying from all of those things, as well as to helping uh, manage conditions like hypertension or high blood pressure, uh, type 2 diabetes, and certain types of cancers as well. What do we mean when we talk about moderately vigorous exercise? Is that is that running or cycling or you know does walking count? I don't really know what that moderate means. Depending on the guidelines, uh, there's you know specific things that we can anchor that to. So percentages of maximal heart rate or or other things. But I think very simply, if you can imagine a ten point scale where zero or one is uh, laying on the couch and ten is that sprint from danger pace or running to save your child from an oncoming car, moderate is about a five. And so it's typically associated with jogging for many people. Brisk walking can certainly get there. You could have have a conversation. You wouldn't want to sing, but you wouldn't be out of breath at the moderate pace. So we've heard what the guidelines are broadly telling us that we should all be doing each week. But I want to get into some of the complexities because more recently, we've come to understand more about the benefits of short bursts of activity. Now, you wrote this book called The One Minute Workout. What got you interested in studying these short bursts of intense exercise or interval training? Yeah, really two things. It was a personal and professional interest. When I first started my career at McMaster University, uh, I was a you know busy young professor. I had a working spouse. We had two young children. And quite ironically, for a professor of exercise physiology, I found myself with quite limited time. And so I was interested in this idea of short burst exercise and how it might benefit my own physical and mental health. And that dovetailed with a professional interest. For a long time, I've taught a senior course called the Integrative Physiology of human performance, and many of my students were interested in the training regimes of elite athletes. And many elite endurance runners, you know, going back to the turn of the last century, middle distance Olympians were using short, hard sprints as a way to enhance their aerobic performance. And so I would ask my students, you know, what is it about these short sprints that benefits aerobic type activity? I was just going to ask you the same question, Martin. I mean, what is it about that kind of training that does seem to 
benefit us? And is it our overall health or sort of cardiovascular health in particular? I would say it's overall health, but definitely there's something to vigorous intensity exercise. And, you know, there is evidence that if we make an apples to apples comparison, so a given dose of vigorous intensity exercise versus moderate exercise, there's some evidence to suggest that the improvements in cardiorespiratory fitness, so that's the idea of cardio health, can be better or uh, more pronounced with the higher intensity. And another way to look at it is the apples to oranges, where we compare a, a relatively small dose of vigorous exercise versus a larger dose of traditional moderate continuous exercise, and you can see similar improvements. Uh, that doesn't mean they're totally equated, but I think getting back to that idea of elite athletes who often serve as a, as a model or you know the epitome uh, for scientists, many elite athletes will utilize high-intensity interval training, vigorous exercise, because they know it's the best way to potentiate or optimize their own performance. And it sounds like this HIIT training is kind of incorporated into other types of physical exercise that these athletes are doing. I'm, I'm wondering if you could give me an example of how someone should really try and incorporate HIIT into their exercise routine if they have one. Yeah, so definitely a lot of misunderstanding around the idea of HIT. A lot of people have this notion that it's only that 10 out of 10 rating or it's only this as hard as you can go gut busting type exercise. Certainly that's one type of high intensity interval training. It's sort of the extreme version and that can be extremely potent and many athletes will utilize that type of training. But really high intensity interval training is just getting into that vigorous intensity range, getting back to that 10 point scale, a seven or eight uh, with some breaks. So going hard, backing off and repeating that pattern. So if your only exercise is walking around the block at night, you could imagine picking up the pace for a couple of light posts and then backing off. And as simple as that sounds, there's evidence to show that this idea of interval walking or just repeating that pattern in, for example, individuals with type 2 diabetes, it's been shown to lead to greater improvements in their fitness, uh, greater improvements in their blood sugar control, and some improvements in body composition as well. That's not at all to say that the moderate workout is, is not good, but coming back to this idea of alternating intensities does seem to be beneficial in conferring some benefits. You've recently been researching something called exercise snacks. What are those and are they different to HIT? They are a type of HIT. So we define exercise snacks as vigorous exercise lasting one minute or less. And so you can imagine I'm standing as we're having this interview right now, I could sort of run on the spot uh, for a minute. I could drop down and do a set of burpees or air squats. I could take the stairs. And you're right, we've been starting to do some research in our laboratory, some collaborators at the University of British Columbia, showing at least in small scale, what we call proof of concept type studies. If people do this type of exercise snack regime, Regime, even a few times a week for six weeks, it can seemingly move the needle in terms of their fitness and their health. And now what we need to do is scale that up. And we have several ongoing uh, multi-site randomized controlled trials that are looking at this with more properly uh, designed rigorous controls. Another complexity around exercise is that we're all, we're all different. I mean, we all have different bodies. We have different sort of metabolic rates, different genetics and so on. Do different people benefit from 
different exercises depending on their sort of personal makeup and you know can exercise be sensibly personalized Definitely our biology is different and people respond very differently to exercise. And so if we took 100 people and put them on any exercise uh, routine, some are going to thrive, some are going to wither, or they're not going to change very much at all. And so I think the message from that is vary it up. So ideally you do something that you like and enjoy because you're more likely to stick with it over the long term, but ideally you vary up your types of exercise, your intensities. It's a bit like investing. You know, you can have a very hot stock pick and it might do very well, but most of us are probably better off spreading the risk. And definitely when it comes to exercise, we can't definitively predict how we're going to respond to certain types of exercise, although there's efforts out there to try and advance this area of the field. Do we need to exercise differently as we get older? Yeah, it's a really good question. And so I think there's two ways to answer that. One is if we go back to the physical activity guidelines, generally the recommendations for older individuals, here we're talking 65 and older, are not that different from what we see for adults aged 18 to 64, for example. And so the answer there is no, you know, moderate to vigorous physical activity, uh, aerobic style physical activity is still recommended. Strengthening exercises are still recommended, you know, reducing our sedentary time. But I think we have to recognize that as people get older, they start to develop different conditions. You know, I referenced my own uh, osteoarthritis. And so the types of exercise that I might be doing as I move into later middle age are different. You know, definitely starting out with moderate before we move into vigorous type exercise to sort of get a, a base level of activity. These are all just, you know, generally recommended good practices. For many people, I suppose the reason they might start to exercise is because they want to change the way they look, perhaps to lose weight. How important is weight loss as a sign that we're exercising effectively? I mean, and are there signs that we're getting enough and the right kinds of exercise? Yeah, I don't think body weight or body composition is your best metric. Clearly, exercise, regular physical activity can be very important in weight management efforts. But generally, you know, nutrition is the primary driver there. And so I think we should think about exercise, physical activity as the primary regulator of our fitness and our cardiovascular health and our muscle strength. And, you know, nutrition is the primary driver of, of body weight and weight management. And so I, I think if people are focusing on the number on the scale, that can be quite demotivating because the number may not change very much at all, even though their fitness might change quite dramatically. And so in short, I think, um, you know, do you just feel better as you're going about through the, the day can be, you know, good indicators of if your fitness is, uh, is improving or not over time. So let's say we all managed to get an exercise routine established. What do we know about what makes us stick to it? Because everyone has good intentions in January, but they just often don't last. Yeah. And, you know, the, that's the, another million dollar question, isn't it? And if we had the answer to that, but I think things that we've talked about a little bit. So, you know, starting small, maybe just getting out of your comfort zone, definitely maybe engaging a partner in exercise. So someone is going to keep you committed. But I think generally not. St- you know, setting these unattainable goals. So uh, if we think of sort of the exercise or physical activity haiku, it could be do what you enjoy. Consistency is the key. 
and everything counts. And so if you can, you know, consider that, uh, that's not a bad mantra. You know, one of the reasons that high intensity interval training uh, is so, uh, you know, many people are interested in it is this idea of, of efficiency because they find this idea of, oh my goodness, 150 minutes a week, two and a half hours, that's quite daunting. And so I think a key message is all activity counts. And maybe the last stat I could leave you with, I was engaged in some research that was led out of the University of Sydney that was looking at the idea of vigorous, intermittent physical activity spread through the day. So these are people who identified as non-exercisers, but they were just engaging in some vigorous physical activity. You can imagine as they were uh, walking to the subway or the bus stop, or maybe carrying their backpack up, up a flight of stairs. Those are examples of this type of activity. And even if they engaged in that activity for three or four minutes a day, it was associated with marked reductions in their risk of dying from all causes, and even a larger reduction in cardiovascular disease mortality. So I think it's a striking example of how little, small amounts do really matter. And if you can even engage in a couple of minutes of physical activity every day, uh, that's going to make a world of difference to your health if you're just starting out. Martin, I feel you've set us up for the year. We have no excuses now. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for the opportunity. Many thanks again to Professor Martin Gabala. If you want to explore the topic more, we've got loads of great articles about getting fit this month. Just head to theguardian.com. And that's it for today. The producer was Madeline Finley. The sound design was by Joel Cox. And the executive producer is Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.